The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. We'll be in, in 2 Corinthians uh, today as we continue our walk through this book. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, some of us are, you know, old enough to remember some, some events in uh, American history and in relatively recent history uh, that have just been dark times, dark days. Um, and uh, there's actually a, a couple of pictures here that I'd like to show you. Um, Some of these are just, they're horrific events that ended up changing, um, I think, the United States, but ended up changing um, the world. The first one is a survivor tree in Oklahoma City, and and some of you may have been there and seen this. This is a 90-year-old American elm, and I think there may be two pictures. The top left, you can see this tree in the bottom right corner. Uh, That's 1995, the bombing of the Murrah building. Um, There was a 4,800 pound explosive device that was set off, sheared off the side of the building, killed hundreds. Um, and uh, that tree in the bottom right there, there, if you could zoom in on a little bit, there's, there's actually items that had been blown into the top of that tree. And at the time, they were considering cutting it down so that they could get the evidence out of the tree. And uh, uh, cooler heads might have prevailed at some point or another, but they lifted themselves up and took that. Um, uh, evidence out of the tree, save the tree, and, and this is it now. There's this huge uh, memorial that's been built there, and that survivor tree down in the bottom right is that tree today um, that reminds people um, about hope uh, during dark times, um, that tree that, that survived that explosion. Um, the, on the, um, the plaque that's outside of the uh, park there, it says, the spirit of the city and this nation will not be defeated our deeply rooted faith sustains us. If you've been to New York City and been to the site of the World Trade Centers, it's just one of the most, quite frankly, overwhelming places I think I've ever been. And uh, they have a survivor tree there also. Um, it's a calorie pear tree. And in the midst of that horrible destruction, multiple buildings falling, um, and everything that happened as a result of that, they, I think it's this next picture, Adrian, um, there was a tree that actually survived, um, and they took it to a nursery and nursed it back to health. And then in 2010, they replanted it there. And if you go there today, you can see the survivor tree um, there in New York City. And they've taken saplings of that tree and sent those baby trees to France and San Bernardino and Orlando and all over the world. And that tree that still stands in um, New York City reminds people all over the world um, that there's hope and that there's life. Uh, if you ever had a pear tree, you know that it tends to bloom early. And uh, one of the, the beautiful things about the tree is that somewhere in the next month or so, that tree will start to bloom while everything else is still dead. And uh, it's just this beautiful reminder um, that there's hope even in the darkest things. And those are events that nationally, you know, we as a, as a nation, uh, we grieved and we mourned. Um, they shook us. They shook our sense of security. Um, They shook our sense of safety kind of down to the core. Um, And we could talk about, in particular, um, the Oklahoma City bombing and what uh, prefaced that. Um, And there was just a sense of a loss of hope in America, if you can remember that time, um, of about a decade or so. It was just a dark time um, in our, our nation's history, and it was easy to lose hope during that time. Now, that's a national, those are national events, and we could, we could point to a, a couple of others that were like that, that may have felt something like that. But there are personal events that are no more or less horrifying than those massive kind of national disasters that we know where hundreds of people lose their lives. We go through these events in our lives where it's easy to lose hope. Life comes at us with things that we could never expect. And again, I, I said to our, our prayer team this morning, you, you wouldn't have them in your nightmares, much less dream that they would ever happen to you. Um, but these things come our way. And Paul today, in this text that we're going to read, the Holy Spirit, I think, they speak, they speak directly to that, um, to that day 
in our lives where we would lose hope. That day in our lives where we would say, this cannot be overcome. This serves no purpose. So the things that Paul's going to talk about, I'm just going to kind of summarize them and we'll dig into them. He's going to tell us twice, the beginning and the end of this section, he's going to say, don't lose heart. Do not lose heart. Why should we not lose heart? Because no matter where we're at, we're ministering the gospel. Don't lose heart because even though we're delivered over death, Christ is being revealed in us. Don't lose heart. Believe that Christ will use you in the middle of your pain, your, your suffering, your sorrow, your disappointment. God will use you to reach many people. Don't lose heart. Gaze at what you can't see. See the unseen. And those are the things he's going to talk about today as he talks to us about our dark days and our hard, hard times that we live through. So look in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. There's so much to cover here, and I want to plow through it and be respectful of your time, too. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have reserved mercy, here he goes, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light or light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So first thing I want to plow into here is that we don't lose hope because we are here for the gospel. So I, I said this a, a couple of weeks ago. I hit on it just a little bit last week. So I want you to just kind of say that in your mind. I am here for the gospel. And when you think of the word here, I don't want you to think in this room. I want you to think, where does life have you right now? Where are you in life right now? Is it awful? Is it painful? Is it more than disappointing? Should it cause you to lose hope? I would tell you that like Paul says, don't lose hope because you are here for the gospel. Wherever you're at, whatever life has brought you, you were there for the gospel, with the gospel. And it's a gospel of hope. It's a good news. That's the word gospel, right? It's the good news of hope. And wherever you are, you are there with the good news of hope. We can lose hope. See, here's the thing, guys. We can, we can lose hope if we think that we're here. If you think you're here to build a gym or to teach children or to be a mother or to make oil, if that's why you think you're here, you will lose hope. Paul looks at the gospel. He looks at what Jesus has done for him, and he's just sort of still in awe of it, like he can't get over it. And if you read Paul, you see that a lot, where he'll talk about what God's done in his life, and he can't get over the fact that God has done this in him. Have you lost your sense of awe of the gospel? God has, his, Paul says that God has shown his light in you for your salvation and for your ministry. What is that ministry? That ministry is to a world that is lost, that world is to a, a world of people who have no hope. They don't have the option of holding on to Christ or letting go of Christ. They don't have Christ. You have this ministry wherever you are here with and for the gospel. Don't lose hope. Now, as you go with the gospel, you're going to find out most people aren't ready to eat it with a spoon. Most people will go, yes, thank you so much for sharing that with me, <laughs> right? If you go with the gospel, your ministry is to tell people the good news, the sweet hope of Jesus Christ. Most people aren't ready to just eat it up. There's a process involved. The Holy Spirit's softening them. He's working in them. There's this journey that you're going to walk through with them. Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Why don't people hear the gospel and go, yes, I'm so in for that. It's free? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'll take it. Why is that, that people aren't ready to jump in? He tells us here in these verses, he says, don't lose hope, you go with the gospel, but here's the other thing you're going to fight through. Not only is your life going to be hard while you're doing it, their eyes are blinded. The God of this world has blinded them so that they can't see the glory of the gospel. 
The gospel is the saving power of God through you. And it says, he says, if you're faithful with it, wherever you are, I've put you there right now, wherever that is. And if you're faithful with that gospel, God says, I'm going to remove the veils from their eyes through the power of the gospel. I'm going to take that off of them. Your ministry is going to be against those things that keep them veiled. Don't be surprised. Don't lose heart. God has you where you are for the gospel. He has you with who you're with for the gospel. Even if they're kicking back, even if they're mocking you, even if they just turn away over and they ask the dumbest questions, right? The silliest things they'll bring up to avoid going into a gospel conversation. Even if that's true, Paul says, don't lose heart. As you suffer through your life, as you go through the pains of your life, and as you fight for the souls of the people that are in your life, God has given you the ministry of the gospel. And I do think Paul is kind of asking us here, can you see that? We, we so quickly get fixated on what we see with our eyes that we miss. There's this gospel reason why God has me here. There's this bigger eternal reason why God has placed me with these people with this person who is rejecting Christ, who is rejecting the gospel, who is mocking my faith. Paul looks at us and he says, don't lose heart. God has you where you are with the gospel. I think the only question we have to ask for is, am I looking for it? Can I see that? Do I understand and have the real perspective on life that that's why I am where I am right now? Look at verse 7. This is where he starts to dig in. And he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, some of your texts are going to say, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the light or sorry, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifested in our bodies. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in you, in us, but life works in you. So Paul's like, man, <laughs> look at his suffering. I want you to just think about Paul and look at his suffering. If anybody should be spared suffering... It's probably Paul. If, if our metric for not suffering is being good, Paul's done good. He's done a lot of good things, really, really great things. If I'm not mistaken, Paul had, you know, in, in, in the book of Acts, he's planted churches and, and he's led people to the Lord and he's changed his lifestyle and he used to murder Christians and now he's leading people to Christ. I mean, that's Paul's story. If anybody should be spared from suffering, it ought to be Paul. If we can learn enough theology and not suffer, Paul shouldn't suffer. Have you ever read Romans? If anybody had a grasp on theology, it's Paul. And if all you have to do is learn more about God, and that will stave off suffering. We should all just go and roll in seminary. If a changed life is what it takes to not suffer, Paul shouldn't be suffering. He is radically different from the person he was before Christ came. And, but, and yet, Paul is suffering. Suffering in ways for a lot of us that we couldn't imagine. And he wasn't just suffering randomly. And this is where some of our theology begins to crave, cave in and collapse. He's suffering because of his obedience. This isn't random suffering that's coming into his life. He is suffering mightily, horribly, because he's obedient to Christ. It's a direct result of his doing what Christ has called him to do. And that's why he's suffering. If your theology isn't big enough to be able to utter those words, your theology's wrong and too small, and you need to change how you understand God. He was suffering because of his obedience. I don't have time to get into the theology of suffering right now, but I'm going to throw some stuff at you. You ready? Get ready, okay? Get your catcher's mitt on, your mask on. Suffering can come because of your sin. Okay? 
you might suffer sometimes because of your sin. That can happen. Either as a punishment, potentially, correction, if you want to use that word, or the consequences of some things you've done before. That's very possible. Secondly, suffering can come from other people's sins. Sometimes other people are sinful and they harm you, and you suffer because they're sinners. Suffering can come from a sinful world. We live in a sinful context. Everything is falling apart. All of creation has been dimmed by sin. The farthest star and the farthest reaches of the universe has been corrupted by the sin of mankind. Everything's been tainted and touched by sin. Therefore, we suffer. So you can suffer because of that. Listen, we are not guaranteed to not suffer. That is not the promise of Christ. That is not the promise of the gospel. That's not the promise that we ought to be peddling to people. We are not promised not to suffer. Just think. Think about Scripture. Paul's obedience brought him suffering. David's obedience brought him suffering. Jeremiah's obedience brought him suffering. The obedience of Christ brought him suffering. How could we possibly walk out of our churches and tell people that if you obey enough, you won't suffer? How much scripture do you have to ignore to believe that is your theology? That is not biblical theology. And we shouldn't hold on to that as our escape hatch when things get bad. All of these happened because of their obedience that they had to him. Paul's in that same place. I'm obeying, and because of my obedience, I'm going through these terrible times in my life, in addition to maybe some natural things that are happening to him. Paul's like, listen, it's hard, and we're suffering, and I'm suffering, and, and God has given us this amazing treasure in Jesus Christ, this gospel that we have, this good news that we have. And he says, but he's given it to us in jars of clay. That's your body. That's your physical body. He's given us this amazing treasure of Jesus in these jars of clay. And I want to be real clear about what Paul means there. Back in that day, and even today, to some degree, clay jars have no value. We, we have uncovered garbage pits outside of ancient cities full of thousands of discarded and broken clay pots. Clay jars have no value. So here's the picture that you have here. You ready for this? I just think it's amazing. <laughs> God comes to you and me and he goes to the garbage pit outside the city and he picks up the remains of a, a clay jar that's been discarded, used, broken, puts it back together, mends it, and puts a treasure inside of it. That's amazing. That's grace. We have been given this great gift and treasure of God in these broken vessels. God reclaims you, he mends you, he cleans you out, and he puts his Holy Spirit in you through the cross of Jesus Christ. What a treasure. We carry the joy of God. We carry the Son of God in us. We carry the Spirit of God, the life of God in our broken jars. And if that's not true for you today, I pray that it becomes true for you today. It's not just that you're breathing and sitting here that means you have the joy, the treasure of God in you. It is a response to what Christ has done for you on the cross. It's receiving the gift of Christ into you, despite the fact that you're broken and sinful and discarded. And I pray that that would become true for you today if it's not. He says, we have this treasure in these broken jars. Here's the other thing, and we're like, gosh, that's a raw deal, man. Why, why can't he put an amazing treasure in an amazing vessel? A beautiful box, you know, some ornate uh, uh, pottery or, or vase, you know, that was, that's just worth thousands. Why can't, why can't that be me? God created us frail so that we would be dependent on him. This is part of God's created order. It really has nothing to do with the, with the fall and sin. He created us down lower than him physically, weak and inept so that we would depend on him. We are the created and we have to embrace that weakness and that neediness that we have. Why would God do that to us? So that we would place our hope in something that is greater than us. If 
all we ever do is hope in ourselves and hope in this broken world, our hope only goes as far as we can go or as far as this broken world can go. We need to put our hope in something greater. He wanted to expose our inability and to hold this treasure that's in our broken bodies to cause us to not trust each other, to not trust in your jar or in my jar, but in him. So what's inside of us? I talked about it a second ago. I want to hit this again. What is this treasure he's given us in these broken jars, man? We, this is what scripture says. We have been filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God. We have been filled with righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. It says that we are the fullness of Christ. Joy and peace and believing and power and the Holy Spirit. That is the treasure in us. And God wants us to place our hope in the treasure, not in the broken pot. Not in the jar of clay that is certainly broken and passing away and is going to be thrown out once again at some point. Verse 8, one of my favorite verses ever. A young adult, young teenager, my grandmother had cancer. This is the first time I can remember in my life that I wrote someone a note and wrote a scripture verse in it. It was to my granny when she was dying, and it was this verse. This is just a a precious, precious verse to me, and I love it. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. I want to underline every but not, but not, but not but not. What a great reminder from the Lord of what's not true while we're suffering. Because we tend to believe that, don't we? I'm crushed. I'm despairing. No one can help me. I'm lost. There's no way out. We tend to buy the front half of that statement a lot. We need that but not. Amen? And he says, but not So we're not denying pain. I don't think that's the Christian worldview. Christian worldview doesn't look at the world and says, oh, that doesn't really hurt. Oh, that didn't really cost me anything. Oh, I didn't really lose something there. The Christian worldview looks at the world and says, no, that hurts bad. And there's actual grief and loss and struggle and pain and an inability to stand up underneath those things. It's like a weight I can't endure. So scripture doesn't deny those things. It says we are crushed and we are pressed, and we are hurting, and we are confused, and we're bewildered by it all, but we are not destroyed, we are not struck down, we are not lost in our despair, and we are not abandoned by God. Both equally true. See what I'm saying? I am being crushed. I don't want to handle, I don't want this anymore. I want you to take this away from me. I can't stand up under the pressure here, but I'm not abandoned. I'm not forgotten, right? And I'm not destroyed by this. And it's not because we hold on tight. I think that's part of the Christian walk is like strengthening our faith muscles to hold on, you know. But thank God it's not because we hold on tight. I think he's drawing our attention here to the grace of God that's stronger than our ability to do so. He never one point during this time says, so hold on tight. (laughs) Pull your bootstraps up. Work harder. He says, no, we're crushed. And we're, we're bewildered, like I can't make sense of this. But we are not abandoned, and we are not forgotten, and we will not be destroyed. I'm not placing faith in my faith. I'm placing my faith in he who is more powerful. Not the broken jar, the treasure inside, you see? So he's drawing our attention to the thing, the person, him who is greater, who can see us through these dark things. So he says we don't lose heart because of the fact that we have this gospel ministry in the middle of where we are. We don't lose heart because of the fact, and he says this in verses uh, 10 and 11 and 12, because of the fact that even though we're dying, other people are living through us. And you're like, I really don't understand that. Well, here's what I would say, mom and dad, aren't we effectively living a life where we're just dying to ourselves so that our kids can live? Do you get that analogy? So maybe that doesn't do it for you. I connected to this. There's so many commentaries and people who talk about this particular text and they're talking about pastors and they're like pastors are dying they're giving their lives they're spending themselves so that you can live i totally related to that 
I think the only question, if Paul can write this about himself and say, we're dying, I'm dying so that you may live, I'm going to ask you, who could you say that about? Who could you write this letter to at this point and say, I'm dying, I am giving myself away, I can't pour any more of me into you, I'm dying so that you may live. Who can we say that about? Who could you say that about? Part of the hope that we hold on to as Christians is that even though we suffer, and even though we walk through hard, terrible times, that suffering is bringing about the life of Christ and other people. Now, here's what that means. You cannot suffer. You cannot go through your life in isolation. You can't bring other people life if you're suffering on your own and by yourself. You have to welcome people into your world. It doesn't have to be the whole church. I'm not saying come air your dirty laundry every Sunday. But are there two people outside of your nuclear family that you can share your life with and you can welcome them in and they see something about the dying that you're going through and the life of Christ is being built up in them because how you're handling your junk, because of how you're handling your pain and your sorrow and your disappointment? Is there someone whose faith is being built up because of your suffering? So go back to that jar of clay idea. You have a treasure in you. You're a jar of clay. You're not, you're not saying, hey, come look at my cracks and my fissures and all the imperfections I've got in my life. I'm a jar of clay. But man, I've got this treasure inside. Who needs the treasure that you're carrying around? Dying to yourself so that others may live. Don't lose heart. God's given you a ministry of the gospel where you're at. He's given you someone who needs to see the way you're handling your suffering and they need the treasure you have for their dark day. The other thing I want to encourage you, man, is that we are not God's great experiment. And even though it feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? It feels like God's up there going, hey, let's try this, you know? (laughs) And just mixing a couple of things together and then seeing what the reaction is. It feels like that sometimes. We are not God's great experiment. Listen, we are God's great masterpiece. There, you, you cannot read the New Testament out past the Gospels and read what God says he's doing in his church and come away with anything other than that. That we are the masterpiece of God. We are the work, the beautiful work of God. The church, the, the redeemed people is God's beautiful, amazing work. And he is continually working in us and in our weakness, and our pain, and our sin, and our struggle, and he wants to show himself to other people through us. So I'm going to ask again, what if God has you right where you are, right with who you're with, so that other people can see Christ manifested in you? We get so lost in the pain. We get so lost in the loss And we forget, somebody's probably watching me. Who is seeing Christ in me, in my pain? There's a season you need to draw back. There's a season you need to pull back. I get it. But at some point or another, when you come out of the cave, you know, who is seeing Christ's work in you? Are they seeing that? Is he doing this work in you? Are you confident in the work of Jesus Christ, in your pain and in your struggle? Even if it's just rote words that come out of your mouth, are you confident that there's truth there somewhere? Or have you just found your place of pain an opportunity to complain and an opportunity to talk about what was and to live in grief and in pain forever? Grief probably never goes away. There's some grief that never, ever, ever leaves us. But at some point or another, I can worship and praise the Lord and show people God's work in me in my grief. There's a godly way to grieve. Amen? Thessalonians tells us that. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Sooner or later, there's a way for us to show people the hope that we have in Christ, even in our grieving. Look at verse 13. He keeps on pushing through. But having the same spirit of faith... According to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing 
that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you for all things for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. We don't lose hope because God's given us a ministry with the gospel. We don't lose hope uh, because God has not abandoned us, because Christ is with us. Other, we're dying and people are seeing God's work in us. Listen, here's the big one, and we're going to dig into two things right here. We don't lose hope because Christ has been raised from the dead, and so will we. Amen. This is like Paul's pinnacle. If, if chapter 4 has a place where it's going toward, this is it. This is, like, this is Paul's big argument. We don't lose hope because Christ has been raised from the dead, and we will be raised from the dead. That is our hope. We're going to celebrate Easter here in five, six weeks or whatever. It's Easter hope. This is what it all hinges on as Christians. This is it. It all hinges on this thing called Easter hope. I'm not going to dig into the story. Some of you know Rick Warren. His son, 27 years old, Matthew, took his own life. Pastor of a huge church in California. About a year after that tragedy, I want you to hear what Rick Warren said, okay? He said, I've often been asked, how have you made it? How have you kept going in your pain? And I've often replied, the answer is Easter. You see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was uh, the day of suffering and the day of pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter on Sunday was the day of hope and joy and victory. And he says, there you have the fact of life. You will face these three days over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? Three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? And the answer is Easter. Then he said it again. The answer is Easter. Don't lose hope because Christ came back from the dead and there will be a day when he brings us all back from the dead. And he presents us, this is the, the beauty of this passage, I don't have time to dig, beauty of this passage, he says, he's gonna present us. This is really cool. He, he brings us all back from the dead and he goes to his dad and he goes, dad, here's what I've brought you. And it's us. <laughs> Amen? Don't lose hope. This world is hard and it will crush your heart. This is not the end. Amen. Thank you, the answer is Easter. Because Jesus came back, we're all going to come back, and he's going to present us as gifts to his dad. Amen? There is great hope there for us. These are the great hopes of Christianity that we're talking about right now. One, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to be transformed, which is we've talked about, and we're going to see it again. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to be saved. Listen, this is why we're Christians, and we're not just one of a tens of thousands of other religions on the face of the planet. Okay? There's a grocery store of religions you can choose from, right? Let's we'll just be honest. Taoists and Confucianism and Buddhism and Mormonism and just anything else you want to list. Why are we not those? Why are we not those things? It's because of these truths we're talking about today. Our body is decaying. This is falling apart. If our hope is in these jars of clay, we have no hope. Our bodies decaying, our spirits have been reborn, our characters are being changed, our death is not our end, and our God lives in us, and we will be with him forever, renewed and reformed and undone and remade like we've never been before. This is the great hope of Christianity. Do you understand that? Not that you get up today and have everything you want or that you have a healthy, fulfilled, satisfied lifestyle now. There is a day coming when this is all true for us. Not in this broken world and not in this broken body, but at some point. And it is the great divider with the resurrection of Jesus between us and every other major religion on the planet. It is our hope that we have. Paul Tripp said this. He said, our outward man is decaying. He says, we don't like that and we fear that. But the truth is that as the outward process of decay goes on, something amazing is happening. 
you are becoming, by the progressive work of his spirit, a different person. You're becoming someone new. And he says, I don't need just to grow. I need to change. If all I need to grow is I'm just going to go eat Lupe today and, and, and spend the afternoon with a tub of ice cream. If all I need to do is grow, I can handle that. I can't change myself. I don't need to just grow. I need to change. I need to become a different person. I need to become more loving and kind and peaceful, more committed to loving and serving. I need to love God more than I love myself. I need to love his law more than I love my will and my way. So Paul is talking about us not just being a bigger, older version of ourselves, but a better version of us. Amen. He's saying this pain and this suffering because of the work of Jesus Christ, there's a future hope, but there's also hope today because he's changing me. He's renewing me, not just to grow up, but to change and to be renewed. And our struggles are part of that work that he's doing in us. And he says, all of this is for God's glory. Look at the end of verse, verse 15. So that more and more people can cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Why is all this happening? Because God is showing our glory to people. Listen, that's greater than you, and it's greater than your suffering. And the relentless decay of this world, it's the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that he's changing us, and he's redeeming us. God is showing his glory in us. What other thing, what other thing can you imagine, what other kind of God can you think of who would take these broken vessels and choose to do anything with us, much less put his son in our hearts? That's for the glory of God. That's why grace is so amazing. Look in verse 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Back to that again. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right, so he brings up this thing about weights, the eternal weight of glory. So I want you to have in your head, there may be a picture, there's a scale, old way of buying stuff, and you'd have a scale, right? And on the one side of the scale, you'd put the item to be purchased, punk, right? And it's going to fall. And on the other side, you're going to put the stuff you're using to purchase. That could be coconuts, right? It could be mangoes. It could be money. It could be a whole host of things. But you're going to get it to where the scale does what? It balances, right? So that the cost of what you're buying matches the cost that you're paying. And they would weigh things out like that. Paul says... There's an eternal weight of glory, right, that's coming into our lives that's greater than the other stuff that you're bearing. All right, so here, let me just talk about that really, really quickly. It's this old school way of doing things. So God, in his, this analogy, God's like, listen, on the one side, I'm going to put your struggles, and I'm going to put your pain, and I'm going to put your burdens and I'm going to put your losses and your suffering, neglectful parents, abusive parents, vindictive bosses, broken bones, broken bodies, broken hearts. I'm going to put all that on this side. And we see that, and that scale just goes thunk, right? Hard. That's heavy. How does God respond to that? Does he take them off the scale? He puts on the other side of the scale... An eternal weight of glory. Joy that cannot be imagined. Peace that never leaves us. Are you ready for this? A changed Joe. A sinless Zach. People who have been redeemed from the cruddy junkyard of history, he puts the eternal weight of glory on the other side. He's like, I'm not taking it away, but I'm going to outweigh it with the great glorious things that I'm going to give you. There should be a big, huge amen there, guys. Amen. He outweighs everything we're going with with this eternal weight of glory. And then the kicker is, if it's still out of balance a little bit, the thing that he puts at the end is, you get to spend eternity with God as his child. 
What is more glorious and worthy and beautiful than that? So what do you see in this world? He says here at the end of this verse, right? He's like, there's this momentary thing and there's this light affliction and we don't look at the things that are seen. We want to see the things that are unseen because everything I'm looking at is decaying and falling apart and it's disappointing and it's crushing my soul and I don't want to see just that. What's the purpose behind that? What do you see in this world? We've got to remind ourselves that even the best things in this world is just preamble to what's coming. Everything here is a preface. It's a bland foretaste of what's ahead. The volcanoes, the animal kingdom, sunrises, music, books, physical beauty, the best food you can imagine. One author says this, he says, they are but whispers. They are prologue of a grander story and an even better place. Only there it never ends. Have you ever been somewhere and you're like, gosh, I hope this never ends. There it never ends. J.I. Packer said this. He said, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end, but it invariably does. The hearts in heaven say, I want this to go on forever. And it does. There can be no better news than this. I want to see that and not get lost on what I see here. Don't you want to be that person who doesn't lose heart? The person who brings hope when it seems like hope is gone? Don't you want to be that person who can stand up under the weight of this world? What are you looking at? Some of us are looking at our marriages and we're going, man, he is a loser. She is broken. I have this, the worst kids in the world. My kids are so rebellious. A counselor will fix us. What are you looking at? We're looking at our health and we're saying, my gosh, my body is just broken. I'm sick. Death is knocking. Are you looking at a doctor to fix you? to answer all your problems. Some of us are looking at the future and all we see is, I'm not going to have a job. I, I need money. I don't know how I'm going to make it. How can I not lose hope? I'm going to ask you again, what are you looking at? We have to see the world in a different way. Is there a picture right here, Adrian? Throw that up there for me. I can't, I can't see that in my head. You know, like if you didn't throw the picture up there, if I asked you to draw a picture, a representation of Alzheimer's disease, is this what you would have come up with? This is what my nephew came up with. My nephew's an artist. And he did an, a magazine cover, artwork. This is the magazine cover on an article on Alzheimer's. And I, you could, I wish we could see it clear and you could zoom in. There's, so, there's details in here that'll blow your mind. And I'm like, my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> I don't see that. If you ask me about Alzheimer's, that's not what comes to my head. There's a cat somewhere. Did you see a cat? Right there, in the side of his head, there's a cat. I don't think cats are weird, but I don't think about Alzheimer's, you know? Man, when we look at the world, what do we see? Do we just see what's here? Do we just see the brokenness? Do we just see the pain? Or does God come to us and say, there's another world? There's another way to look at this. Can you see it? God, give us the eyes to see the world like he does. Amen? Amen. He says, Alzheimer's, I see art. There's brokenness in this world, and that's what I see, and there's pain and suffering here. God, let me see what you see. Our eyes have to see that. Because listen, you and I, man, we've seen the MRIs, haven't we? We've seen the sonograms. We've seen the brokenness of this world. We've, our, our living eyes have seen there's nothing good here. What are you looking at? Verses 3 and 4 
talk about spiritual eyes, that the enemy has blinded us to the beauty and the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So first of all, there has to be a supernatural change. This is something I can't fabricate in myself. God, give me these supernatural eyes, and when brokenness comes to me, and death comes to me, and darkness comes to me, that I would see with supernatural eyes truth and reality. Second thing, I think there are retrained eyes, right? Sometimes I just see what I see because that's all I ever see. If I asked you before you, if I said right now, find everything that's green in the room, now your brains are like, oh, I have to look all green shirt, green, green text, yellow, green, (laughs) right? And we start finding all the green. I have to retrain my, that green's been here the whole time. You didn't see it till I said it. I have to retrain my eyes. So what does that mean? So this is where we get physical, in our physical lives. I'm going to take you back to junior high. Okay, you ready? What are you looking at? Turn it off. This isn't hard. This is not hard. Okay? We've talked about this before. Well, I use my phone as my alarm, so I have to have it on 24-7. I will give you $5 to go to CVS and buy an alarm clock. It's not hard. Why can't I see when God's moving? Why can't I see what God sees? I'm going to ask you again, what are you looking at? What are you training your eyes to see? Because that's what you're going to see. That's how you're going to interpret the world. I can't see how God's moving. If everything is sexualized for you in your life, it's probably because that's what you're putting in. And it doesn't take much to get to that place where everything gets sexualized in our culture. What are you looking at? Turn it off. Put a filter on it. Spend a little bit more time in the Bible. You don't have to spend an hour. I'm not asking you to become a monk and shave that little thingy in your head, you know, and eat worms and all that stuff. Can you do 10 minutes? There's, there's little devotional somewhere around here laying around. It can't take five minutes, man. It's one verse and a little, some thoughts. Just spend a little bit more time in the Word. See those things. Look at your family again. Look at holiness gaze on these things. Look at goodness again. Man, how long has it been before you just had a diet of goodness? What I put in my eyes is going to be good. Look at Christ. Train your eyes to see him. Look for him. He's always at work in all of the junk that we're going through in this life, but I can't see it because I'm not looking for it. And I haven't trained my eyes to see it. He says this, this light and momentary affliction. And he says this jars of clay. And man, sometimes that's really, really offensive. We hear him say these words and we're like, listen, I don't know about you, but the stuff that I'm carrying around is really heavy. Stuff that hurt me, stuff I can't get rid of. And it's a heavy weight and I don't know what to do with it. I can't tell you that God's going to take it away from you or take it out of your heart. I'm just telling you there's a heavier thing. To a child, five pounds is heavy. To a dad or to a mom, you could pick it up with a finger. There's comparative weight, right? And some of us, what we're carrying around is so heavy, it's crushing us. There is an eternal weight of glory that outbalances no matter how heavy the thing is you're carrying around that's greater God, let me see that. Are you losing hope this morning? Your relationships, your money, your health, your children, your spouse, whatever it is, are you seeing and are you preoccupied by what you see? Some of us are so fixed on his brokenness, her brokenness, they're messed up, she's wrong, this is not right, all that kind of stuff. We just get stuck there and that's all that we ever really see. And I'm not talking about positive thinking, I'm talking about seeing reality. What are you seeing? Paul lays it out for us in this text. He says, life is hard. Things are crushing down on us and weighing down on us. Your life, wherever you're at, is your mission field. It is your ministry. So we have to say at some point, I'm going to embrace the life you've given me. Wherever you've put me, whatever it is you've given me to carry, I'm going to carry it well. And I'm going to take the gospel with me there. God is not wasting your suffering. How do you read this text and come away with anything less than that? Whatever it is, 
God's not wasting it. You're not in a season of life that serves no purpose. God is using whatever pain and suffering you're going through to renew you day by day into the image of God so that other people come to glorify God. Next thing. Jesus is seen, should be, could be more seen more clearly in your suffering. I mean, the world, people are blind. And we need the shock to the system sometimes to see things rightly. You're going through a hard time. A tsunami has hit your life. Other people can be woken up by how you respond during those times. Other people can have the veils lifted off of their eyes as you struggle and you fight with faith through those hard times and and grieve with faith. Jesus can be seen more clearly through your suffering. God is bringing more people to faith and worship because of where you're at and what you're doing right now. God is renewing us day by day. Jesus has secured our future when this body dies and when this world dies. Jesus has made sure this is not the end of us. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. You bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to add to all this, these promises, these things that Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, don't lose hope, don't lose hope, don't lose hope. I want to add to that and I want to say this. Old Testament to Moses. Moses is like, I can't do this. I can't go where you're asking me to go. I can't speak to who you're asking me to speak to. It's too much of a weight for me to bear. God's answer to him is, I'll be with you. To the world that was in darkness, dying, crushed under the weight of sin, God comes with Jesus, Emmanuel, and he says, I'll be with you. After the resurrection, the darkest days in human history when we killed Christ and he comes back from the dead and just as he's leaving, he says, I'll be with you. Now we are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. He echoes in our hearts. Don't lose hope. I am with you. Listen, this is the promise, not just one of many, like this is the big one. God says, I am with you. It is the point of God's great rescue mission through Jesus Christ to put us with him. Don't lose hope because God is with you. God, we thank you. I am overwhelmed. This passage is overwhelming to me for so many reasons. God, I pray that it is encouraging and challenging, God, and realistic. We live in this hurtful, hard place. But God, that it gives us new eyes, spiritual eyes to see. Let us see. Father God, I thank you for this truth that we don't have to lose hope when everything's falling apart and difficult and painful and hard. You're doing all these wonderful things in us. And God, you're with us. Thank you so much for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Father, if there's someone in here today, they've never heard God talked about like this, they, they don't know God like this, I pray right now your spirit would open up their eyes and they would see Jesus and they would say, I need that, I want that. And they'd talk to you. they come to you in faith right now. God, work in people's lives. Thank you, God. Open our eyes to the true reality of the world around us. In your name we pray, amen.